you know, I, I chose to engage in, in an organization whose whose ethical background, whose whose position in in our in the broader educational problems in our society. I, I didn't really fully grasp that, and I didn't know um, how much anger and frustration and and frankly guilt I would end up feeling. Welcome to episode 22 of the Truth for America podcast. Often, as a university professor, students will come to me and say, should I do Teach for America? I've read some of the things that you've written about Teach for America, but should I do it? And so today we have several guests to talk with us about, should you do Teach for America? And so let's have them introduce themselves. Hey, I'm Jeremy Singer. I am a Teach for America alumni from um, the Detroit region, uh, and I am here in Detroit doing educational research after my time teaching in the public schools. And I'm Thomas Petroni. I'm an associate professor of curriculum studies and policy sociology at Wayne State University, and I've watched TFA at both the national level and um, specifically in Detroit as a component of my research on neoliberal urban education reform. Hi, I'm Barbara Veltri, Associate Professor of uh, Teaching and Learning at Northern Arizona University, and I've uh, researched Teach for America for two decades. And I am Jameson Broom, an Assistant Professor of Social Foundations of Education at the University of North Georgia, and I'm a 2010 Metro Atlanta TFA alumni. Great. So glad to have folks on, and it's glad to have uh, my co-host, Barb Veltri and and Jameson Brewer uh, on uh, here we are episode twenty two. So we wanted to talk a little bit about first the history of TFA. Now we've we've done this in a few other episodes. For example, uh, we talked about the history uh, Wendy Cop and her idea that she had in her undergraduate thesis when she was at Princeton. So we've we've covered some of that ground. So before the episode we were talking about uh, the setup for this particular podcast and Jeremy mentioned that he would want to address two things. If a undergraduate uh, came to him and said, I'm interested in doing TFA. So what would you, what would you say to that person, Jeremy, what kind of context would you give? Well, first of all, I want to know why they want to do teach for America. When I think about myself, when I was an undergraduate student in a similar position, I had some reasons for why I wanted to get involved in education and why I wanted to do that through Teach for America specifically. But the reality is, you know, I had no personal relationship to the city of Detroit, which I've now been in for over five years and, and care deeply about. I had no real understanding of what it was going to be like to be a teacher and what it was going to like be like to be part of an organization who's played a really um, problematic role in our education system. These are all things I was completely ignorant to. And so I really want to understand both what the motivation for anyone who wants to do TFA is, and I'd want to gauge their sense of these things that, frankly, I was totally ignorant to when I was a student at that time. 
And these are things that I've had the opportunity to learn about, fortunately, very quickly, um, both because of the kinds of work that you and your podcast have done and so many other commentators uh, about the effects of TFA. And, and I had the privilege of meeting folks like Tom and others who've been doing the critical work here in Detroit to really reveal the role that uh, Teach for America has played. Did you want to weigh in, Thomas? You know, I, I have a lot of interesting thoughts about Teach for America, um, some of which I'm sure have been covered on your show by people like um, Barb, who have been doing research specific to Teach for America for a very long time. Some of the elements that I think are important to draw attention to, and these relate both to people who are considering, a, you know, uh, doing a stint in Teach for America, but also to people who are asking research questions about Teach for America in general, uh, is to understand the role that Teach for America has had in act exacerbating not just the sort of dynamics that I think people have spoken about for a long time, which is, um, you know, the gradual privatization of the teach for, teaching force and putting forward models of um, education based on so-called data systems that spur competition between schools that are false representations of quality. Uh, those things, I think, are probably pretty well known to a lot of um, listeners to your podcast. But you know, one of the things that we're facing right now in Detroit is a very dramatic teacher shortage in the regular public schools, hundreds of teachers. And this is something that I'm pretty sure is endemic. I know it's endemic to most predominantly black school districts across our state. And to me, this is something that probably needs a little bit more attention because it's such a current problem than we've currently, than we've been getting, which is in Detroit, when, when Teach for America um, came back. So we've had actually two phases of Teach for America, one in the early mid 2000s, and then a return in 2010, I believe it was. Um, and uh, Teach for America has been here ever since then. But when, you know, as, as we know, when, when Teach for America was originally formed, it was it, it, it was a situation in which there were severe teacher shortages all across the country, or certainly in many parts of the country. And you can make a reasonable argument to say, well, if there's going to be nobody in the classroom, or if it's just going to be a sub, then, you know, maybe this isn't the worst situation in the world to have uh, a Teach for America intern there for, um, a, a, you know, a couple years. But in the context that, that, uh, Teach for America came into in Detroit, it was at exactly the same time that there was not only a charter explosion, but also the opening of special recovery district modeled on the one in Louisiana called the Education Achievement Authority. And it was a time that there was not a shortage of teachers. In fact, we were being admonished by the state legislature to stop producing so many teachers. Well, you know, here we are just a few years later, and there's a massive teacher shortage. Part of what happened in Detroit is Teach for America recruits, recruits as they were brought back in 2010, needed to have spaces made for them from the perspective of those who wanted to get Teach for America folks into the schools. It was basically Teach for America was seen, they were seen by some as quality talent replacement for teachers who are already in the schools. And so what we had was a combination of extremely unfair uh, reviews. Some of them were two-minute drive-by reviews conducted by people who had no educational experience, which were used to eliminate many, many teachers from the classroom. And we had a big incentivization of early retirement. So lo and behold, you know, TFA numbers have now 
dwindled in the city. Those veteran teachers who were either encouraged to retire or who were, you know, fired unfairly have for the most part not come back in the profession. And here we are now, and I think this is very important, at a point where um, we are bringing in all kinds of even more than Teach for America fly-by-night type organizations, Teachers for Tomorrow, for example, to populate our schools. And in fact, the, the shortage is so severe in Detroit, allegedly, that uh, new legislation was passed as the district was restructured a couple years ago that uniquely allows Detroit to use non-certified teachers on a regular basis in the classroom. And, you know, we could talk all day about the, the racial implications of that. One, one thing um, there, there, I often refer to, you know, and, and Jeremy is a perfect example of this, and perhaps some of the other folks on the call on the podcast are as well. You know, I, I oftentimes see Teach for America recruits themselves as being an Achilles heel of heel, excuse me, of the corporate education reform movement. Um, so we know that there are particular uses that, that uh, of the organization as a whole and the way that the organization and its mission fit into, you know, now into a, a other sort of privatization and marketization schemas that have had a devastating impact, especially dismantling urban public school systems. Researchers eventually realized that although Arne Duncan was calling it the future of uh, American education as U.S. Secretary of Education under Obama, and although claims were being made about uh, tremendous growth for students in the Education Achievement Authority, apparently, you know, almost all had made allegedly one year of progress. However, that's measured within six months. Many had made two years of progress. It was actually Teach for America um, people who were the ones, in part because of the incredible strain that they were finding themselves under to, you know, being dumped into school environments with huge class sizes, where many had no cultural familiarity, um, to be the ones to actually uh, be able to call out and speak to, first off the record and then on the record in very brave testimony about some of the things that were happening in these schools, which actually enabled us to push back very successfully on a lot of these um, education reforms. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I know that Jeremy, and, and there are many people like Jeremy, some of the best reporters have come through Teach for America, and the fact that they were so burned by the experience and that their commit, their reasons for joining the organization were often very, you know, noble and, you know, uh, true. You know, some would say, some might say naive, but, you know, with very good intentions and sincerely con uh, concerned about social justice issues, that that it's, it's sort of like you don't mess with mostly middle-class white recruits who have a lot of privilege for going, going for them in this society. And so when recruits like that see what is actually happening and the kind of purposes that they're being used for in these contexts, well, thankfully, so many of them turn to be ideal informants and whistleblowers, and we were able to make tremendous progress against some of the most egregious experimentation on black children in Detroit because of the things that were being revealed. Now, the veteran teachers are not back. We still have this terrible teacher shortage. And I, I wonder if someone would write that study. I think they really should um, in terms of the impact of Teach for America on contributing to our current teacher shortage. done a really good job laying out the history of the education and, and sort of the policy landscape um, and the role of TFA and 
that evolution of TFA. But if, if I'm someone who's thinking about, should I do TFA, this story that you just told me about Detroit really concerns me. The fact that you said they were burned by the experience. They had to uh, go through Teach for America and get into a situation where they were literally burned by it mm-hmm. and then had to become whistleblowers. Now, this is an interesting perspective that we haven't had on a, on a, on a prior uh, podcast. I mean, we've had uh, TFA folks tell us that charter schools actually had them building their school. Um, our last episode, they talked about how Teach for America was pushing them into um, early childhood and they had, they had very little to no training in early childhood education. But this isn't sort of a, n- a new story. But I, you know, if I'm someone hearing this story, I'm a little concerned. Do do I really want to do Teach for America so that I can be a whistleblower? <laughs> right. I, I wouldn't think so. And I think that's where we get back to uh, some of Jeremy's initial points, which is to ask, why why are you considering doing this? Because if you believe that this is sort of a, a do-gooder path to um, sharing, uh, you know, hoping that your wonderfulness rubs off on the students that you encounter, um, that's not going to happen. You're, um, you know, I would, I would probably push them towards, you know, if you're serious about education or if you're serious about urban communities um, and issues of justice connected to them, why don't you consider a legitimate educational program and, you know, get involved not just as a short-term project, but as a lifetime yeah. commitment. And I, what, what I want to say about that, to be really candid, um, and, and I, of course, I'm only speaking from my own perspective, but I, I'd like to believe that this will resonate with a lot of folks who've done TFA when they were kids coming out of college. I mean, and, and, and Tom's right. A lot of us, we had strong foundations in, in, in some ways in, in social justice perspectives. But frankly, my choice to do Teach for America over something a little more traditional was a convenience of my privilege, um, knowing a couple things. First of all, knowing that it was easy to get into. For someone in my position, and second of all, deep down in my heart, knowing it would have been easy to get out of. Um, I, I think a lot of people go into Teacher America in that way. And and to your point, Julian, I I think if we could try and capture like the ethical ramifications of people exercising their privilege in that way, you know, I think people, even when they recognize, and and I, just to be frank, even for myself as a naive, um, you know, twenty young twenty something at the time who who both wanted to get something um, out of this experience, but also wanted to find a way to, to involve myself in, in um, you know, the, the efforts to, to improve the lives of, of students in the country who didn't have the, the right kinds of educational opportunities. At least that's, you know, the simple way I thought about it at the time. You know, I, I chose to engage in, in an organization whose, whose ethical background, whose, whose position in, in, our, in the broader educational problems in our society, I, I didn't really fully grasp that. And I didn't know um, how much anger and frustration and, and frankly guilt I would end up feeling because of my, my efforts, you know, against all the things that I think I did well with my students, against all the things that I feel like I didn't do well for my students. Um, I also had to continue to grapple with the growing realization that I was complicit or or even facilitative of some of the problems that the organization um, has and that, and that we've heard about from all of you and, and from lots of other people. First of all, it seems to me that many TFAs do not understand that the deck is stacked against them. Mm-hmm. They have no background. And then when they are in TFA, they are 
um, subjected to wherever they're going to be placed. I know uh, core members in Detroit have spoken to me at length about being trained for high school, then getting moved to four different locations during the first month when they finally mm. decided that we can't do this. Second mm -hmm. grade, fifth grade, seventh grade. And then the other thing that I want to bring up is the fact that the deck is stacked against them is to look at the leadership. So, for example, right now, the um, superintendent is uh, Dr. Vitti. Dr. Yeah. Vitti uh, came from Detroit, born and raised, but he ended up in um, Florida. And he Correct. was superintendent in Florida when TFA was brought in and, and actually uh, they were um, expanded in Florida, even though he had board members who were questioning them. And there was a state legal case um, brought by citizens for strong schools against the state of Florida. So he leaves a TFA situation in Florida and um, goes to Detroit. And before um, um, we had another situation where a... Um, Superintendent John Covington, also a uh, an alum of the Eli Broad Superintendents Academy, mm -hmm. who was in Kansas City, he leaves Kansas City to become the chancellor of the Education Achievement Authority in Michigan. Yeah, um, he left because he was spending thousands of dollars on travel expenses. So the reason why I say the deck is stacked against Teach for America is because if you are naive, and honestly, after all the literature that's out there, all the podcasts, all the writing by many of the resist TFAers and many people like Julian and Jameson, you know, there's really no reason to be naive because if you want to really check out if this is going to be good for you, then you have to look at the critiques of TFA. Mm -hmm. But the thing is that... Um, the superintendent, I mean, when you have superintendents that are spending money, wasting money, developing these charter management schools, they're going to continue to give you classes where you've got 48 kids in a class. They mm -hmm. don't have places to sit. And it's only focused on children where the Detroit public schools are having a 64% graduation rate, according mm -hmm. to data for 2819. So you know, you have this changing leadership in many of these urban areas where they are either TFA alums or affiliated with the Broad Superintendents Academy who are focused on a particularized, predetermined outcome that is under the guise of doing good for poor children of color, but they are right. actually shortchanging them financially and they bring in TFA and they are overwhelmed and, and misplaced and not trained. It seems to me that this this question of why should somebody join, whether that person is asking us or asking somebody who might be listening to this podcast, I, I think the Jeremy question is uh, centrally important here. We have to ask the question to them of why they want to join. And some of the conversations that I have had with individuals uh, thinking about joining Teach for America, almost always their answer to that question or something similar to that has almost always been something about themselves. I've, I've rarely heard anything about the, the greater service to the profession or students. And to compare that, when I ask my current pre-service teachers who are going through a traditional training program why they want to be teachers, they almost always talk about this. They don't talk about this concept of easy in, easy out. They don't talk about uh, not being sure what they want to be when they grow up. So maybe they'll give this a, a, a try. They don't talk about using it as a stepping stone to law school. They don't talk about this deep desire to raise 
test scores and help non-white students learn, uh, you know, to achieve along narrow cultural white assumptions about success and learning. And so I, I think to, to the, the overarching question that we have here, why should somebody join? I, I agree that it's important to ask them why they want to join and, and help them get a sense of whether they're joining or seeking to become a teacher, uh, whether permanently as a part of the profession or temporarily. And if their answer is the latter, helping them see that that doesn't in and of itself broadly and narrowly help students whatsoever and in all likelihood hurt students. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, it connects back to everything that Tom shared about it, not only hurting maybe an individual student or a group of students, but it has, it has a systems level effect when you add up every single person who ends up joining the organization. And, um, you know, I wanted to say something briefly about Barb's point that there's no excuse for someone joining Teach for America to be ignorant at this point. I mean, I, I want to say definitely, I, I was thinking about this before we started recording it. It seems like because of the amount of um, TFA resistance stuff that has come out that, that I, you know, however many years ago, five, six years ago, was in a position to already be relatively skeptical coming into Teach for America, even though I still chose to do it, you know, as Jameson pointed out for some, for some, what, what can be seen as some selfish reasons. And, you know, as Tom said before, so many of my fellow core members here in Detroit had a very strong critical slant, um, if not a naively critical one that, that had to be sort of more fully activated once they got here. Um, and once they sort of got into the thick of things. But I, I'm sort of thinking that or wondering if as time continues like this and as more and more work like like the podcast we're doing and, and the work that so many other people are doing as well, get out there that we'll be in a position where Teach for America core members are, are increasingly immediately self-critical or critical of the organization. I'm not sure, though, how that ends up stemming the, the flow into the organization if we don't ultimately disrupt people's personal self-interest, as Jameson put it. So you've made a really strong case. So I'm a 21-year-old. Um, you've told me all of these things. Yeah, I'm concerned, maybe, but it could be different for me because I think that I'm going to be a really talented teacher. And I'm just going into TFA, even though I understand that the organization is part of a a broader cabal of neoliberal education reformers, it's going to be different for me um, because I'm going into it for the right reasons. And I, and I think I'm naturally a good educator. What, what do you say to someone like me that despite all the evidence that's out there and, you know, the counter narrative um, that exists and the research and the role that TFA plays in a broader education reform movement, what do you say to somebody who said, okay, I get all that, but I'm still going to do it? The, the question becomes why TFA when other alternatives to the same ends exist? You know, there are other ways for you to get exposure to working in, in an urban school or a rural school. And in fact, there are other pathways for you to get involved in teaching and, and become a, a classroom teacher other than TFA. It, it, it's, you know, my first thought is, well, you understand all the problems with the organization. Why aren't you looking towards other ones? I mean, what's what's leading you to stay attached to to Teach for America specifically? Well, um, Teach for America is going. They're going to, you know, they have the reputation. It'll help me get into Harvard. Um, <laughs> uh, I'll be able to get money to run for school board from Lee and the recruiter. The recruiters are really convincing. Presented like a very very um, perfect example of of 
the typical thing that someone might say coming from what is ultimately a self-interested or uh, kind of position. I mean, it's hard to blame a college student for looking out for um, their personal future. But I think that we got to find a way to, to bring the, the broader ethical dilemma um, of joining an organization like TFA down to, to that level, because people need to understand that it's not the kind of decision that can be justified if you have any sense of um, interest in something beyond yourself. I would add to that something, drawing on something that Barb said, which is the way that the deck is stacked against TFA teachers. The way that I first became directly exposed to TFA teachers was in um, in, a, in a role almost as a as a uh, practically as an informal therapist or you know I, people knew that i was aware and had an analysis of teach for america's negative impact as an organization and so there was a, a long stream of people you know maybe like jeremy um but you know way, way back before jeremy's time in detroit um who who were themselves the recruits who who were either angry or or having emotional breakdowns. I mean, because you have to, and so this is the point that I'm getting to is is maybe part of it needs to be if the student really is mainly self interested, you know, and maybe defensively, you know, defend defendably. So um, as Jeremy was laying out at that particular time in, in a person's life, is to kind of. Um, Get, uh, share a, a realistic sense of what many students, especially many smart, privileged students, have actually experienced in Teach for America. I mean, I saw tremendous psychic pain. And, um, you know, in, in, in the best cases, it was people who, you know, quickly came to an analysis of how they were being used and were angry and were using that energy proactively. But other people, they were, they were emotionally broken. I mean, you know, at least for that moment, there was a lot of healing they had to do. You know, they had internalized all the messages of um, no excuses. If you can't do it with 35 students or 40 students in your class, it really is your fault. You know, we facilitated you doing this and you couldn't do it. It's your fault. I've looked at. But, you know, Thomas, right. But, you know, Thomas, let me let me ask this question. okay? because, you know, we we see those themes in the podcast. Right. But, you know. I'm still thinking about doing TFA um, because all the TFAers that I meet tell me that they were successful educators right from the beginning. Um, mm. And after two years in the classroom, they're ready to be a school board member or they're ready to be a principal or they're ready to start their own charter school. I understand that there's some counter narrative out there, but I seem to only run into Teach for America alums who tell me how fantastic and how great of a teacher they were from day one. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, you know, I mean, I mean, I think as you yourself mentioned, Julian, or maybe as Jameson mentioned, um, it's hard to imagine that people wouldn't Google teach for America nowadays and expose themselves to more voices than just the sales pitches that they were receiving from the, the, the right TFA members who, you know, it only spoke about the organization and their experiences in glowing terms and in terms of what enabled them to do. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> if there are people who are that hermetically sealed from reality, um, it probably speaks to uh, a set of experiences they've had leading up to that, um, where everything has always gone their way. And maybe a person like that needs to take a tough fall. I don't know. Um, <laughs> 
you know, I'd be curious. I mean, my own sense is that Teach for America has contracted tremendously, but maybe that's wrong. Maybe I'm only seeing it in Detroit and it's different nationally. Uh, I think you're right that there's still a lot of cachet for TFA. I still run into very progressive so-called parents who have kids who are like, oh, I would, oh, really, I was going to recommend TFA for my child. You know, so there, there's still that sensibility out there. I'm curious to know how much of a contraction there has been nationally with Teach for America. I, I guess I was hoping that most of our work was done, but perhaps not. I mean, to me, there are more even frightening organizations, and this is not in any way a defense of Teach for America, but in Detroit, you know, it's it's now, what is it, Teachers of Tomorrow or something which is based in Texas. Um, uh, you know, it, it's, it's people who are doing uh, things that are even more paltry in their preparation than Teach for America is. You know, Tom, you, you mentioned these parents, and, and I think that's an interesting angle to talk about here. I, I often ask my, my students uh, who are training to become teachers um, if they got any type of pushback from anybody uh, mm. when they shared that they wanted to become a teacher, and they, mm. every single one of them raises their hand. And I mm. say, okay, leave your hands up if the people who gave you pushback about that were your family or parents, and just about everybody leaves their hands up. Mm-hmm. And again, it strikes me as somebody who was a traditionally trained teacher who entered PFA during the height of the recession, who now trains traditional certified teachers, that these people who are going through a traditional long four-year training process are doing it in the face of even their parents maybe shaming them or suggesting mm-hmm. that they're making a bad choice for themselves. And I agree with what Jeremy said earlier. I, I agree it, it is important for undergrad students to make good decisions for themselves. They are humans. They are individuals. They should do what is best for them. But when we, when we extend that to thinking about the classroom, it's not about them, right? And so you have these traditional teachers who are doing this work and training for years to do this work in the face of perhaps being shamed by their parents, when at the same time we have, to your point, Tom, these parents who are pushing TFA for their elite children, and it seems to me that it's not because they know that their kids will stay in the classroom for a long time. Oh, absolutely. It's that they yeah. know that they can use it as a springboard to something else. That's right. Using the, using the backs of children as the springboard. Yeah, yeah. And of course, they don't conceptualize it that way. But but yes. <laughs> I mean, I, I, yeah, I, I'm sure you've had others talk about this on the podcast and, and elsewhere. But for sure, my family members peers, random people I met were super encouraging when they heard I was doing Teach for America. And it was also accompanied oftentimes by questions about, oh, well, what, what will you do after that? Or, you know, what's, what's next? Um, you know, the presumption that I wouldn't be interested in teaching long-term, which was always um, insulting to me in its own way, um, that second part. But yeah, I mean, it, it is crazy that, that juxtaposition there. Okay. okay, so I want to give each of you the opportunity to just make one last pitch to me about whether I should do Teach for America or not. Just a quick pitch as our sort of closing the episode. Um, it's been wide ranging. I mean, I'm, I'm still, you know, on the, you know, I'm still deciding. I'm, I'm, I'm still on the ledge. I'm not sure which way I'm going to go here. So give me your one last quick pitch about whether I should do Teach for America or not. But I, I, I think that what I would maybe 
think about is that when the parent recommends to this teacher, and I'll be quick, this this teacher, you know, to their that their child do this sort of experience for the cachet that'll give them in their career advancement as a sort of temporary stint, you know, I I I would like to think about what could be put in there instead. Uh, you know, so in other words, so it doesn't become Teach for America, so that it becomes something else that's hopefully not as nefarious. And maybe the thing to do would be to look for, I mean, maybe there be, need to be new organizations. So this isn't responding to you as an individual. There need to be new organizations that can fulfill that same sort of role of having a meaningful community experience for a couple of years, hopefully, you know, not used as, as an in as self-centered of a way as people have used for Teach for America. But, you know, I mean, we hear examples of other countries that have, you know, it's not just the military that's required service, but that there's some sort of other service that is required for, you know, maybe two years as a part of growing up. I think that probably very, you know, more progressive examples of that, maybe they're already out there. Um, I would try to steer uh, you or uh, a student who is being that advised that way by their parents to something else, to something else where they can, you know, where it is a short-term stint even, but maybe it could be one that is robust and would give them a critical perspective on inequality in American cities or whatever it might be, but that, but that wouldn't be playing the harmful and destructive role that they would be in Teach for America. So they can both make their parent happy and get that item on their CV, I guess, um, without hopefully doing terrible and destructive work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I think I would say that, first of all, it's going to be an incredibly difficult thing that you will have a really hard time understanding or even conceptualizing before you get into it. That's probably something that they've heard a lot more about um, from others. And I would say that while you're in the throes of that and while you're struggling with teaching and being underprepared and being incredibly stressed, you're also gonna to have to grapple with the fact that you are part of something that is sustaining the very conditions that are making your life difficult and that are underneath all the injustice that you observe in your students' lives every day. And I think it'd be a lot better to put yourself in a position where you didn't have to deal with all that. I'd like to just say that um, I wrote about um, not selfishness, but the pragmatic considerations, which is what I termed it in my book, which is why people join TFA. And I do think that I've also had over the years, many parents contact me because when things unravel with their children who have uh, you know, joined TFA, these are adults who are in uh, by choice, um, they don't know what to do because their kids are left jaded, perhaps unsafe and emotionally un, um, you know, um, vulnerable. They are not prepared. And so I do think that I would be thinking about it twice. I know Teach for America approached both of my niece and nephew, uh, calling them, barraging them, even when one was on a study abroad in, in France. And they both said that they didn't want to have that kind of uh, pressure. And so I said, well, that kind of pressure for recruiting is only like a tip of the iceberg of the kind of pressure mm -hmm. you get when you are in TFA and you're getting mm -hmm. the email barrages that happen constantly when you're trying to figure out how to teach. And I think it comes down to the question of when does one develop their moral compass for what is educationally sound and virtuous, uh, quoting Decker Walker. When one goes into TFA, they are very, um, they basically comply with whatever TFA, um, you know, states as our mission. And they also are very um, eager to embrace that mission as they go in and, um, you know, tell others about it. 
But at the same time, we're seeing evidence. J- Jameson and I wrote an article that appeared in a November publication, which we look at the idea that these are students who are also um, coping. These are people that are in classes, but they're taking classes themselves. So they're, they're graduate students and they're coping and they're trying to juggle. And many times they leave and they are jaded and they are emotionally spent and they are wondering, you know, was it worth it to go in there? Because if you are not the quote, good teach for America core member, you don't get those opportunities to jump into a you know, legislative opportunity that's funded by TFA um, support. And you also don't get that opportunity to start a charter school with cash in hand. So, you know, you do have to be lucky. And in some of my writing, people said, well, there are different categories of TFA and the lucky ones are the ones whose major is pretty much aligned to what they're teaching. Like a Spanish major teaching Spanish, they're lucky. And I don't know that every one of the TFA core members who are not privileged have the opportunity to leave because financially they have to you know, pay up um, in 30 days if they think they're going to leave. And what we've encountered with these podcasts are the people who enter TFA and they're shocked that they're going to be changing the diapers of toddlers. Like they didn't go yes. to school for four years to be assigned to preschoolers who can't even read or write, they're, they're not even walking. They never thought that was going to happen. And there are unsafe, unsanitary conditions that they are faced with. So there are other dilemmas that need to be addressed. And what you shared was very informative to those who may be considering this. So here's my answer to the question to somebody who asked me if they should join. If they're interested in becoming a teacher, fantastic. Colleges of education all across this country are currently accepting applications. Let me help you fill one out. If you are looking to join TFA for the sake of boosting your resume so that you can get into law school, find some other way to do it that doesn't require you to exploit students. Mm -hmm. Drop the mic. And I want to thank folks for joining us for episode 22 of the Truth for America podcast. Uh, Today, I think our guest made a really strong case for those that are thinking about joining Teach for America, uh, and we hope that their advice is welcomed and useful.